Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thanks, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, Comc.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, and Huggins and Scott Auctions. Again, Tommy Hotline uh, had some good chemistry with uh, Val Mars, Jeremy Lee, and myself, uh, as well as John Newman uh, jumping in. And we talked about the impact on the industry and the implications of the uh, new investors coming into Starstock. Again, uh, seems like all news is good news for the hobby. And so enjoy the uh, episode. Again, the, the conversation on that live show was pretty natural. And so rather than re-recording it, I'm just passing it on. And uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. And if you do, uh, listen, tune into the to the show on YouTube or wherever you find um, stuff like that. So thanks again. Have a good uh, day, and I'll see you tomorrow. They've got the seed round of money. 1.3 million. Yeah, from Kevin Durant as well as a pair of fan dual co-founders. And I believe that's... And Gary V's uh, brother. Yeah, AJ and Jeremy Levine. I haven't been out to the Starstock website since I guess it was last year. And uh, I went out there today and of course there's no hockey or NASCAR, but they do have baseball, basketball, football, and soccer. And it reminds me a lot. Was it ETOPS where they had like trading buy and sell? Yeah. ETOPS, ETOPS was a program in the early two thousands where you'd buy singles from the tops website and you could leave them there in your portfolio, but you could choose to take delivery of them if you wanted to. And the way that they were traded between collectors was that there was a direct link between ETOPS and eBay at the time. So the market was facilitated on eBay. You'd log into your account on tops website. And if you wanted to sell a card, you could sell it via eBay through the Topps website, through their uh, the integration they had set up at the time, which was at the time was pretty cool. Nowadays, you've got Upper Deck working directly with ComC on their EPAC product, and it's it's way slicker now, but it was pretty slick back in 2000, 2001, 2002. I was very active on the Topps marketplace back in those early days. So I remember I actually took delivery because it, it finished. I had every hockey card. They did three years of hockey, and I took delivery of, of each and every hockey card that was made. They're worth peanuts now, but it represents a time for me in the hobby, so I, I keep them. There's some uh, NASCAR. I think it was in 2003 they did some NASCAR. I have not gotten those yet, but they are on my list to try to acquire a set of those. But maybe they were ahead of their time. I don't know, or they were just limited to the tops. But the star stock, looking at it, it looks, I don't want to say day trading, but basically you can buy and sell. I think that's what it is. I, I know Ziggy's very active on it. He's a big proponent of it. They have this new tournament, I believe, at some sort of contest with probably 12 uh, participants. That I think we're hand selected and Ziggy lobbied to get on and got one of these coveted spots. And it's basically who can make the most money on the platform over a specified amount of time. I believe it's very similar to day trading. It's interesting. I think that the question that, that Ziggy and others want to know about is like, what does it mean for the hobby and for Starstock to get couple of names like Kevin Durant and any Vaynerchuk involved in investing in their business. What does that mean? What sort of attention will it bring? As far as KD goes, it's cool, but those headlines are going to disappear because he's going to get back to playing basketball. But as far as Vaynerchuk goes, I believe it's AJ Vaynerchuk, who's Gary's brother. There's marketing power and marketing club behind the Vaynerchuk name. And I think that's where Starstock is going to realize their biggest value. Having KD in the background, talking all to his fellow you know, professional athletes in the locker rooms and when, they're, when they talk to each other and maybe talking about his investment might bring more attention within the professional athlete realm towards trading cards themselves because of his investment in Starstock. I, I'm, who knows for sure, but that's possible. I still think that uh, the Vaynerchuk name attached to it is much more powerful for the brand and for the hobby. And it, it puts the, the Vaynerchuks right into it now. They've got financial interest in the infrastructure within the hobby versus just buying and selling cards or versus just collecting. So I think it's a great thing and I hope it helps 
elevate the profile of the hobby on a wider perspective. And yeah, what do you uh, think, Jim? If Starstock really works, then the smart money would not be investing in Starstock's offerings as much as they'd be investing in Starstock itself. And so to me, it's a ratification of the whole hobby for KD and AJ to get involved with Starstock, the parent, rather than getting into some of the action there. These fractional companies, same thing. If it works, the people that are going to make the most money are not the people that bought a fractional share. It's the people that own the company. So KD and AJ coming in, again, I think that that's more positive than them having publicity of buying a card. I like how you said that the owners of the company are going to be the ones making the money and the people playing within the, the format, playing and, and conducting transactions. I like that comment. My mind, when you said that, Jim, directly went to the whole players versus owners controversies and labor disputes we've had over the years. Like, who deserves to make money in all this stuff? And it seems to me like the hobby often looks down upon any company making money. You hear greed all the time. You hear cash grab, money grab. You hear people throwing those slurs towards the companies in the hobby. And I believe that the companies deserve to make money, but just like the owners deserve to make money of teams. But how is the pie divided? And, and the only way to divide the pie with a company like a Starstock or a ComC or an eBay is through the fees. What are the fees that are levied upon the players? Because that directly takes money away from the players or the, the collectors, the participants, and puts it in the pockets of the team owners or the, the, the shareholders of the company. And it's a fine line that these guys play. No, but the, the fractional especially is almost a form of paramutual betting in that when you go to Vegas... Uh, 100 cents go into Vegas and 94 cents come out or whatever it is, which depends on what the, the game you're playing. But in all of them, you're, you would expect to lose 6%. Some people win, most people lose. In the fractional game, the, it is wired from the beginning that the, the company that does the fractional is putting a value on that so that they've made money already. They're going to make some additional money with the fees. But like I said, if it works, I would have wanted to be participating at that level. If it think, doesn't, I mean, the owner has risk, and the owners, the, 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 it's like a general partner and a limited partner, the entity. The people that started these things, they could lose. I agree. I like your Vegas analysis, Jim. I, I, I believe the difference is simply one of scale, whereas 6% in Vegas is trillions of dollars or hundreds of billions, whereas whatever we're seeing in these fractionals, and I don't know their business model, but the scale is so much smaller for now. So Not only the scale, but the illiquidity. The lack of liquidity is being used to their advantage. And the lack of liquidity until recently was most concerning with the most valuable cards. But now the most valuable cards have amazing liquidity because of these fractional ownership situations where they actually have an advantage for buying something at a world record price. Yeah. And the world record prices are very important for our hobby. Without world record prices, the values stay stagnant. If you're holding a nice portfolio of a collection, which I know I'm mixing investor collector terminology there deliberately, then you, you like this. If you're someone who's just getting in and you want to acquire a whole bunch of cards for your collection, you're getting priced out of a lot of good stuff, which might help rising tide floats all boats. You may be seeing the lower end stuff. I think the whole hobby benefits from, from the increased values or the market capitalization of the overall hobby, which is a monster number right now. Yeah, it's it's larger than many countries. Yeah, yeah. You can look at you can look at Card Ladder, and they don't have all the cards in their database, but they do have a bunch, and they'll show you what the market cap of the cards in their database is. I looked at it the other day, and it was like five billion or something yeah, like yeah. that, which is for under six thousand cards. So it was a big number. Yeah. Beginning of COVID pandemic, everybody was on the against Gary V bandwagon. So now that we have a V involved into Starstock, does that stir up within the hobby purists uh, a, a backlash? What is this V doing? 
There will be people in the hobby that will find a way to poke negativity at this move by, by Vaynerchuk. There people find negative in everything. But the way I look at it is a bit different. I look at, at it as that family name, whether it's him, his brother, whoever it is, they've now invested in the infrastructure. That to me is a vote of confidence in the hobby overall. Everybody needs to make money to live. Everybody needs to pay their bills. You, you want to set your family up, all those sorts of things. So there's no shame in trying to make money. And I think it's a vote of confidence for the hobby. I think that's a good thing. Everybody always talks about FOMO, but the generations younger than me are, their fear isn't missing out. It's fear of being ignored. <laughs> and so if you're taking a position in something and people are against it and some people are for it, that's not necessarily bad. The worst thing is if nobody cares and you're ignored. And the V brothers, as you say, are not being ignored. What they're doing is being watched and we're going along for the ride. So it's making our category more and more relevant. Yeah, I think there's a difference where, you know, if Gary's out talking about or showing, you know, PSA grade cards and, and buying them up and then people are getting on him or assuming that he's pumping and dumping, whatever. But I, I think this is more of a move of building an infrastructure for buying and selling as opposed to the purists. So, well, you guys were talking about record prices in, in NASCAR. Let me show you. We're not showing you, but let me tell you that a signed 1972 STP, it kind of floored me, but it went for about $1,800 PSA DNA. So that's big for us. So I know these other sports go for cheap. The beauty is if you bring in somebody from outside the hobby that loves all sports and considers, let's say, a big five, <laughs> that NASCAR's in there, they're looking at that at this incredible bargain when they're reading about 1.8 million and then they read about 1.8 thousand for the king. Uh, yeah, exactly. And massively difficult to find. They weren't available in packs and stuff. The print run was my minuscule compared to these other ones. So, so are you saying there's opportunity in certain NASCAR cars right now that it's, they're falling behind the the curve of the overall hobby? I know the NASCAR purists are gonna kill me, yeah. but they don't like anybody to talk about it because there's so much I think value in because the cards are tough. They're hard to find. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's not... it. It's not really about the money. It's really trying to find them.